Hello, everyone. My name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about a political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as name would suggest. Happy Thursday. Hopefully, you guys are getting ready for your weekend, spending time with your family, your friends, watching. I mean, there's no tennis going on right now, but watching great stuff, watching great, I don't want to say content, but watching great films, enjoying great art, consuming great art. Hopefully you guys are doing that. There's a little bit of news that we can get into for today. In terms of news outside of the tennis world, we can discuss Tim Pool's podcast with Kanye. Kanye West, Nick Fuentes, and Milo Yiannopoulos made an appearance on the Tim Pool show, and they were there for about a good 20 minutes, and they were gone. Uh, it was quite anticlimactic. It was something that I was really bracing myself for because I saw on Twitter that Kanye was trending with Tim Pool. And I'm like, okay, I'm sure they had a podcast. I really want to watch this podcast. I'm sure it's going to be fun, enjoyable. And it was the opposite of that. It was not any of those things. Uh, we'll break that down. I'll break that down for you as to what happened and why I think Tim Pool comes out really good in this. Uh, he asked really good questions for the limited time that, that he was there. They seemed rational. He seemed like a very, very rational guy when he was talking to Kanye. Uh, he did not get baited into hating on the Jews uh, like Kanye has been doing for the past month or so. Uh, it's been a quite interesting few months for Kanye ever since that Tucker Carlson interview came out. Uh, but overall, this just proves that Kanye is in a very manic state right now. And more importantly, that he's not fit to run for office uh, if if that hasn't been already been the case before, but anyways, Tim Pool's podcast with Kanye was an absolute mess. We'll get into that, uh, and also we'll discuss the crypto exchange app known as BlockFi uh, going bankrupt. Uh, they filed for Chapter Eleven, and they, it follows FTX and being another crypto crypto exchange platform that has recently gone under. And overall, it's it's sad. I mean, it really shows that cryptocurrency is not really viable anymore. Uh, and, and it's not going to be the alternative to the U.S. dollar. But we'll discuss that. We'll, we'll talk about what happened with that. We can also discuss the United States men's national team in soccer facing off against Iran, winning against Iran, and now heading into the knockout stage, heading into the round of 16. They've won, they've, haven't won the group, but they are past the group draw. They are second to England. Uh, they're now one, two, zero, one win, two draws, and zero losses. Well, so I'll break down break down that match for you guys. Uh, my overall thoughts on it as a casual fan. I'm not the biggest soccer fan in the world. I'm not the biggest soccer fan uh, at all. Uh, there are there are th- there are times when I do watch it, but overall, let's just say I'm not the biggest soccer fan. I'm a huge casual, so I'll, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the match and what we can we can expect from the U.S. men's men's national team. But first, we got to break down some tennis. We got to talk about some tennis, and this is some pertinent news. Some very very pertinent news that we got to talk about that we got to discuss. Uh, Emma Raducanu has received the MBE. So if you guys don't know, Emma Raducanu, British-born tennis player, won the U.S. Open back in 2021, has sort of regressed since then. She's been through a litany of coaches. She's played in several tournaments, especially in certain majors, but has not really reached the heights that she's had in 2021 with the U.S. Open win. Uh, but in order to honor her, uh, the British government, uh, more importantly, the British monarchy, has decided to award her the MBE, which is like this very prestigious award, very prestigious title in England, which is like the most excellent order from the British Empire. 
and it's they, they do this whole song and dance this old antiquated song and dance which i'm sure is not really relevant anymore where king charles comes out and you know sort of extends his hand to emma Raducanu, gives the award and they all dress up and uh, they all you know have tea and crumpets i assume i don't know i don't know what british people do when they get the mba but anyways emma Raducanu got the mbe uh and she posted a tweet saying the following, a great honor receiving an MBE from His Majesty the King today. And it was a picture of King Charles extending his hand, uh, giving Emirat Okanu a hand. And, uh, you know, that's that's basically what happened. Uh, Emirat Okanu received the MBE. Uh, I know there's not a lot to talk about this when it comes to this topic. Uh, I know that. I know that uh, it's not, you know, that important to really talk about. But I, I do think that, there's certain things that we can sort of take away from this. All right. I know it may be far and few between. I'm very well aware of that. You know, it's, it's very far and few between that we're, we're able to get something away from this. But overall, I think when I saw this, I was like, is Britain really down that bad? No disrespect to Emirata Khan. Obviously, you know, she's a, she's a, she won a major, but I mean, if this is considered an MBE worthy thing, then it's, it's, gotta be quite sad i'm I'm not saying that there's nothing wrong to be you know to acknowledge your efforts and your accomplishments and, and to really stand out but if this is an mbe and again i'm just viewing this in the same way as i would view i don't know remember how i don't know in in the US, united states where you know there are certain individuals that would get you know uh, a medallion you know how the president would often give a medallion to individuals to honor their hard work and what they've done. You know that's sort of how I how I, how I would view the MBE, and I don't think this is really that worthy of it. I mean, no offense. You know, hopefully, you know, people don't take don't don't take offense to that. You know, I'm sure she's a very great person. I mean, obviously, Emma Raducanu is a very great person. I mean, she's she's very marketable. She's very she know she is a star in, in tennis, and whether you people like it or not, whether people enjoy it or not, she is a star in tennis because of her background, because of you know the the diverse background that she has. But overall, I don't really think this is MBE worthy. Uh, again, this is just one match. Uh, if if this was a British player winning in a British tournament in a British Slam and showing consistent efforts at these majors, then that's an entirely different story. But I don't think that this is something that should be given an award for you know and and honestly this is like over like a year ago so if, if they were trying to catch up on the trends it, i don't know like a year on honoring a work that was a year old i don't know i don't, I don't unless we're talking about art then i guess but this is a tennis match it's not that important where a year later you got to honor her for her work. Don't get me wrong. Obviously, that was a great U.S. Open win against Leila Fernandez. She really gave it her all. I mean, she had like a bloody scraped knee at the end of it. So obviously, she gave a lot of effort to it. But again, this is not something that where you got to wait a year in advance to give her an award. I mean, it's just a little too, it's a little too song and dance. You know, it's a little too much. Um, again, if this was greatness, if, if Emma Raducanu was going to tie Serena Williams or or any of that, then I would get it. I would understand it in that department. But again, this is nothing. Like, uh, no offense to Emma she's she's a well she's a well functioning tennis player. You know, she she won a major, and that's great. Uh, but again, I don't know if this is what you would consider most excellent order from the British Empire. 
if this is what's considered excellent by the British Empire, then it really goes to show you how far the British Empire has fallen, <laughs> right? Like, if this is considered excellent by the British Empire, one major, then that, and that is just sad, honestly. Because, again, I would expect more from British dominance and from a country that basically invaded half the world for spices. I'm just saying, if this is what's considered excellent by the British Empire, then it really shows you how much they bathe in mediocrity right now. Not calling Emiraticon a mediocre. I don't want. I'm not. Don't put that on me. I'm just saying that in terms of the result, I'm just saying in terms of what we've seen so far, it is considered. It is mediocre. You know. And again, I'm willing to get the hate. I'm willing to get all the people that are going to be mad at me in the comment section down below for saying that. I'm sure there's a lot of Emiraticano stands that will see you know Emiraticano in the description. You know, and and they'll be like, wow, is this is guy talking about Emiraticano in a glowing way? And they'll be they'll be like no, and then they'll leave a bad comment. I'm cognizant of that. I'm well aware of the Emiraticano hive, you know. I'm well aware of the uh, Raducanu. <laughs> I don't know if I want to say that word, but uh, I'm well aware of those people. I'm well aware of those individuals that are very gung ho about Emiraticano. And again, I'm not hating on Emiraticano. I'm just saying that this is not something that should be considered most excellent order from the British Empire. Two things can be right, you know, Emiraticano. Won a major, and I'm happy for her, uh, even though it was last year. But at the same time, this should not be considered most excellent order. You know, this should not result in having individuals dressing like Downtown Abbey celebrating an award that ha that was crowned last year. You know, because if we all know Emma Raducanu, we've known that she hasn't had the best results since her win at the U.S. Open. I mean, when you see her uh, lose early rounds in those majors this past year, when you see her in ATP 500 and ATP 1000 tournaments, not really being able to get past that hump or get into the top four in any of those, in any of those um, tournaments, you know, it's, th those are causes of concern for her and her progression of play. And I think right now she just has to focus on tennis. You know, for, forget the dog and pony show, Emma Raducanu. Focus on the tennis. Focus on what made you get to this point. You know, I know it's it's very easy to, you know, get into the glitz and glamour of it all. It's very easy to, you know, be in the public spotlight outside of tennis. You know, I mean, talk to Sharapova about it. Talk to Anna Kornikova about it. There are certain individuals, certain tennis players that sort of allow the public spotlight and the celebritization of their personal life to be at the forefront of their tennis and to take precedence over their tennis. And I don't want Emma Raducanu to be in that perspective or in that in that place. You know, I think right now what Emma Raducanu should focus on is getting back to her fundamentals, getting back to what she does well best, which is being able to play tennis at an exceptional level at a way where other tennis players just cannot compete. You know, I want her to be in a, in a position where she's able to get her service in, where she's able to continue to play within within singles play i want to i want her to continue to be able to you know be in that position where she can make competitive matches even more competitive and give matches that people can remember for her, for her for not this you know this should not be something that people should or any tennis player should focus on you know what should be the focus is on tennis and i know we're in the off season so i guess this is a good time to to get the award but again it could have happened last december of 2021 you know we all know december is a slow month for tennis you know we don't expect any tennis news or ten any tennis results uh, in the in the month of december so again i i think that this is just not something that's needed 
you know, I would go as far as to say that. I don't think that this is something that should be desired. Um, and overall, I, I hope, I, I just hope that she's able to just go back to tennis. Uh, because again, as, as I mentioned before, I've seen tennis players just focus on the marketing of it all. Focus on, all right, how am I able to make my next Instagram post sponsored despite me getting bageled in the second round of a major? You know, that's I see that in a lot of tennis players' minds right now where they just focus on getting the next sponsored post out there or getting the next fit in or making sure that they won a certain amount of matches so that they're still in the validation or in the eye of, say, fashion houses. And, and again, make your money, do your thing. But again, it's, it, that shouldn't be of importance. You know, the importance should be winning tennis. And I think right now, and I don't want to put an Emma Raducanu in that mix, but there are individuals out there that just don't care about that. And I think that's just bad. I really do think that it, that it is bad. You know, you should focus on the tennis. You should focus on getting better each and every day, making sure that you're that you're able to do well the net, do well the baseline, be able to uh, serve in a point, or be able to finish a point in a certain amount of shots. You know, being able to serve body uh, body serves or wide serves. You know, all of those are very very important and. I feel as if there are certain tennis players that don't really prioritize that and prioritize the glitz and glamour of the tennis lifestyle over that. And I, I don't think that's good. You, know, you just become another wag. You just become another wife and girlfriend of a, of a tennis player. Don't, don't do that. Uh, focus on the tennis. Uh, so, yeah, overall, those are my thoughts on the Emma Raducanu situation. Hope she gets better. I, I, I don't want this to be what she's remembered for, which is just one major that she's won. Uh, I, I think that's just wrong. I think that's something that we should not value as people that are fans of the sport. You know, I, I think, you know, we should value excellence in the highest form. And if we're not getting that from tennis players, then we should call them out for that. Uh, I'm not saying I'm calling out Emma Raducanu. Hopefully she's able to get better in the next year. But again, I don't, I don't want that to be the only thing that she's known for. And when I see her smiling with King Charles, it, it feels like that's more of a reality. Uh, and hopefully I'm wrong. You know, I, I want to be wrong on this. I hope that she's able to win more majors. Um, I, I just wish that she wasn't really focused on this. You know, so overall, those are my thoughts on the Emma situation and uh, her receiving the NBE. All right. I think that's it for the tennis news today. Again, very chill on the tennis news. There really, really isn't that much to talk about when you enter into the last month of the year. Um, so, yeah, overall, those, that's my tennis minute for you guys. Let's get into soccer now. Obviously, people call it football outside of the States, but I call it soccer. Got to call it soccer uh, because it is soccer. It's called soccer now. If the USA is into the knockout stage and is into the round of 16, it's called soccer. If we get past, if we, and I don't think we will, but if we're in the t- final four, change the name to soccer. I don't know if we're going to beat the Netherlands. You know, that's who we're uh, facing next. Uh, Virgil van Dijk is a stud. He's really good as a defender, but again, uh, if we get into the final four, it's soccer. But anyways, the United States faced off against Iran yesterday and won against Iran 1-0 uh, as the United States now reaches into the knockout stage, the round of 16, to face Netherlands in the World Cup and on Saturday. Uh, this was a really interesting match by the United States. Uh, overall, it was it could have been better. 
I'll be quite honest with you. The match could have been better. Uh, Christian Pulisic did score. He got a tip in uh, as he was as he collided with the goalie. He hit his nuts and he was out for a well extended amount of time. He came back in the match. Uh, he's all better. He re- he released a Twitter post or an Instagram post about it, uh, saying how he's all better uh, and now he's good to go for Saturday. But that was a very scary scene. Uh, there was a Timothy Way goal that was in stoppage time. I think it was in the 51st minute of stoppage time, where it looked like it was it was going in and it it was a goal, uh, but it was called offsides because apparently his shoulder was in the way. Apparently his shoulder was a little bit a tad bit forward and uh, past the defender, the last defender. Uh, so they had to call it off. Uh, call it off sides, which, I mean, technically, I get the call. I understand why it's considered a good call, but again, in a sport where there's not a lot of offense, in a sport where you think scoring would be of importance, in a sport where we got five minutes of stoppage time in the first half and nine minutes of stoppage time in the second half, you would think that FIFA and the officials of FIFA would value scoring and offense. In a sport where that really isn't seen, especially in a World Cup where that really isn't the norm. So, unfortunately, Timothy Way's goal was called off sides. Um, it was not a pretty match for the United States. I'm going to be quite honest with you. I mean, there are times where there were beautiful crosses that were given to Pulisic or Way or to any of those forwards that were just not in. There were times where, you know, players would just shank uh, when, when they tried to shoot on, on goal. And it would just fly into the stands. I mean, that first half was was all offense for the United States. And they came out hungry. But again, there were missed opportunities, several missed opportunities in that first half uh, before Team USA. Um, the second half was a little bit different. Uh, the second half was... There was mostly the United States men's national team playing prevent defense. Uh, Iran was just totally in the USA side. Uh, they had opportunity after opportunity to equalize it, and they just weren't given that chance to. Uh, the U.S. played exceptionally well on defense, but again, it was just too much defense. And it felt like Mike Berhalter, I think that's name, or Greg Berhalter. I'm not so sure about the name of the coach. Uh, he's no Jurgen Klinsmann. You know, I mean, let's be honest with you. I think Jurgen Klinsmann was a little bit better, better of a coach than Mike Berhalter or Craig Berhalter. I, I really don't know the name of it, uh, of his name, but it, it's going to drive me insane. But I felt like Berhalter wasn't that great in terms of uh, adding substitutions into the into the into the lineup. I thought there were times or people that were just not really showing that much poise or, or that much effort, not effort, but consistency in their play. I mean. Musa did not do that well. I mean, Musa scored the first goal against Wales, uh, which was nice. But in this match, he just wasn't there. Uh, there were some bad touches by some some individuals. I remember this one play where I think it was like in the second half where the United States national team got the ball into Iranian territory and a person just went for a pass and just went straight to an Iranian player. He literally just gave the ball back to Iran. And they played a fresh slate, a fresh slate of, of time, and they were able to get the ball into the United States uh, men's national territory. And it was just like small things like that. I felt, I felt as if, I felt as if they had, if they had a different coach, it could have been different. I'm not saying that if Bruce Arena was there, it would be different. I mean, I don't think Bruce Arena is as good as Berhalter uh, as of late. I mean, obviously Bruce Arena is a very good head coach, but in terms of as of late, I do think Berhalter is there. I, I just wish. That if if we had just had a different coach, 
it would have been a different result. I think that this was more of a coaching uh, miss miscall than say uh, than say uh, player misfall or miss miss uh, mistrial. But again, I think small stuff like that. I think it really goes to show you that I don't think that this team can really hang with the big boys. I don't think this team can really hang with a Brazil or an England. Uh, maybe with an England because they did draw with England, but I don't think they can hang with a Brazil. I don't think they can hang with a Portugal. You know, these are teams that are considered to be front runners to win the World Cup. I don't think they can hang with France. I don't think I don't I think that if they were playing against France, then Mbappe would definitely equalize that game. You know, again, it was a little bit of a, uh, again, the stoppage time was very, very interesting because in the first half, they got five minutes of stoppage time to play. In the second half, they got nine minutes of stoppage time. That is, I, I know for a lot of soccer fans, that may not be that much, but again, for a group match this early, I was surprised. Now, apparently, I was listening to Taylor Twelman yesterday. Apparently, the reason as to why they were given that much stoppage time is because of the fact that there are a lot of individuals, and as we all know, soccer is a sport where a lot of players flop. A lot of players flop to get the penalties. There were several times where uh, players did flop. Uh, I think Aronson definitely did flop. Um, there's another individual that did flop, uh, but it was a little bit more substantiated, uh, where his knee almost felt like it was it got buckled into a, a U.S. player that is. Uh, but apparently, Tyler Tolman said yesterday that the reason as to why they had so much stoppage time is because of the fact they're trying to crack down on those flops, and as punishment, they add more time for stoppage time because of so said flops, which I think is a good thing. I think flopping in the sport is very prevalent. Obviously, I understand why they do it, to get free kicks, to, to get PKs. But again, I, I think it's one of those things where it's just not needed, where I, I think that it sort of devalues the sport in front of a lot of individuals' eyes. And when you see flops happening in real time, it's like, it's it's not needed whatsoever. Um, you know, again, there was a flop that was done by an Iranian player where he caught it with Matt Turner, uh, the goalie for the United States, that could have been resulted in a PK. It was in the PK area, and there were several Iranian players on the bench that were calling for a PK uh, because of the collision, but the ref was smart. I felt like the ref, uh, the officials, were very smart in this match, uh, which is very rare to say when you talk about sports, where they really gave a concerted effort to call a fair match. Um, And they were successful in that. They were very, very successful in that. Um, But yeah, that was a little bit of a scare. But overall, it's a win. A win's a win. Uh, Uni- the United States national, men's national team, um, I-, I feel as if they're performing in a way where we sort of expected them to perform. I did not think that they would wow me in any way, shape, or form. We still have a lot of way to go. Uh, but the fact that we're able to get into this match with no MLS player starting, that is a good thing. That is a very good thing. And hopefully um, we can have a, a, a better match against the Netherlands. Again, it's going to be very interesting to see what's going to happen there. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I don't think we're going to reach past the quarterfinals. I really don't think so. I, the best finish we had was in 1930, which was winning the World Cup. Ever since then, it's been quite up and down. There are times where we've been qualified for the World Cup. Uh, there have been times where we've, we've been going to the uh, quarterfinals, like in 2002. But there are times where uh, we just haven't been able to qualify for the World Cup. 2018 is a perfect example of that. Uh, another example of us you know, underperforming would be 2014. I, I thought that that team sort of underperformed, uh, especially with Landon Donovan still in, in there, Clint Dempsey, uh, you know, 
with their success in 2010 going to the round of 16, I thought that, you know, they would at least reach quarterfinals. But, hey, you know, you get what you get. You know, when you have a team with Jermaine Jones and Michael Bradley, I mean, is it really a shock that he underperformed? But still, um, I mean, Jermaine Jones is one. It's like, I mean, that's just crazy. The fact that we, I mean, the fact that, I mean, I'm from New England, so by default, I guess I'm a Revs fan. I don't know. Uh, But the New England Revs signed Jermaine Jones, and I think they paid him like over like $4 million. I'm like, what? $4 million for Jermaine Jones? Like, that's the guy? I, I mean... It's just way too much money, uh, but but again, I, I hopefully the salaries for MLS players get better um, because apparently there are a lot of MLS players that do not get paid that much. I mean, there are players that are currently playing like, playing right now that get like eighty to ninety k a season. I'm like, that's like a salary that you would get from being a recruiter. <laughs> I know recruiters that make more money than soccer players uh, in, in, Amer- in America. But anyways, that's another story for another time. Um, yeah, I just thought that this match was a nice solid win. It was a nice solid win for for United States. And it's proof that the United States, that we are not only capable enough to kill a general of your country, top general of the country, unjustifiably so, but we're also capable enough to win against your soccer team so viva la america you know um that's that's sort of what i want to say about that uh yeah i mean we called soleimani and we killed your soccer team you know where we are the goats now we are we are the goats of our country uh and uh hopefully we can uh prove it against the netherlands on saturday at 10 a.m uh, i'm excited to watch the match i don't think we're going to get past the round of 16 but if we do that's just going to be good um yeah, I feel like this World Cup, maybe it's revisionist uh, to say this, but I, I do feel as if this World Cup is definitely lacking. You know, I, I feel as if this World Cup is... And maybe it's because I'm, I'm looking at, you know, the 2010 World Cup and the 2014 World Cup with rose-colored glasses. Maybe that's the case, but I feel as if this World Cup is just lacking. I feel as if Qatar isn't the best place to have the World Cup. I mean, I mean, you don't have to tell FIFA that. FIFA already knows that. But, you know, with the ban on alcohol, with the stringent policies that they have on individuals that are coming into that country, I just feel as if they're not really embracing tourism. And the whole reason as to why you have a World Cup is to get more tourists into a country. I mean, let's face it. That's the main reason as to why you have a World Cup. The fact that Qatar isn't really embracing that, I don't think that's good. Uh, and I, I feel as if FIFA is really really changing uh it is really reconsidering them ever having it in, in a muslim country i really do um and again hopefully i'm wrong on that i mean i know there are certain muslim countries that are uh, a little bit more liberal than qatar is but still i don't think it's a good look what, uh, by any means uh, i was listening to the flagrant two stream of this and i'm like this is just perfect i mean to have like schultz and akash and mark gagnon uh, you know, uh, to commentate on it while watching it on BBC it was just a great to, was just a great spectacle to see. Uh, but anyways, those are my soccer minutes for you. Hopefully, you enjoyed it. Uh, I'm I'm excited to see the knockout stage. I really am. I, I think that we 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 should win. I, I believe that we will win. I mean, I don't think so. I don't think we will win at all. I, I think we'll get a similar result as we as we had in 2014 against Belgium. But 
I want the U.S. men's national team to do well because it only adds more eyeballs to the sport. You know, if the MLS can attract a top star like Mbappe or Raheem Sterling or um, I don't know, maybe not so much of a Neymar or uh, or, or, or Messi or Ronaldo because they are older. But if we are able to get a top star, that'd be great. You know, if we're able to get an individual like Holland, you know, in from Man City. You know, I think that would be an, a, a great thing. You know, if we're able to get Brendan Aronson or Pulisic, I think that would be great. Uh, I don't think that's a strong likelihood. But again, you know, the more attention that the U.S. national team brings, the better it is for our sport, the better it is for MLS. And I want to support soccer in America. I think soccer is a very good product. You know, it lasts less than two hours. Uh, it's in and out. You know, even though there are times where people don't score and that's a big issue, Um it's still fun and entertaining. I, I still like watching one love matches. I do. I think defense is very important and, you know, I love to see it. Uh, obviously it's not ideal for a lot of individuals. They want to see high scoring matches. They want to see four threes, five fours. They want to see shootouts. They want to see, you know, rainbow shots and, and bicycle kicks and whatnot. And I get it. You know, it, it's part of the sport. It's what makes the sport even much more enjoyable. I want to see that as well, but Again, I think the more attention that the U.S. national team brings to the sport, the better the better it is for soccer. And um, you know, I would love to see the Revs play. You know, I mean, obviously, the New England Revs have never won a cup. You know, and and that's kind kind of concerning because we have had some good players, relatively speaking. We ha- we have had Taylor Twellman. We have we have had uh, Lee Gwynn. You know, blast from the past. These are some names that you know not many people know, but. You know, I do want to support, you know, soccer in, in America, and hopefully this can be the reason. But anyways, those are my thoughts on on USC Ron uh, playing against one another. All right, let's get into our next bit of discussion here before we get into Kanye and Tim Pool. So the crypto exchange app BlockFi has gone bankrupt. This was a concern for a lot of people once FTX went down under. They were like, okay, what's the future for other crypto exchange apps? What's the future for BlockFi since BlockFi... Uh, is owned by FTX or vice versa. I'm not so sure. I'm not that much into crypto anymore because of the fact that I see what it is, which is just a scheme to, from people to make more money in, in U.S. dollars, which I, without really putting much effort or thought into really thinking about the future of alternative currency, I sort of figured that out early on. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm out of this. I'm out of this. I thought this was going to be the future of currency. It's not. Uh, it's still the petrodollar. But BlockFi has gone down under, and now this opens up a can of worms for other crypto exchange apps like Coinbase and other apps that do have the ability to uh, trade and sell crypto, such as Robinhood, uh, because of the fact that crypto is so volatile right now. Uh, so this is from Yahoo Finance. Uh, BlockFi calls bankruptcy filing the antithesis of FTX in first court hearing. So they're already in court right now. Not a good sign whatsoever. Uh, in a first day court hearing after filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection on Monday, lawyers representing crypto uh, lending firm BlockFi called the company the antithesis of FTX. This is the antithesis of FTX. Joshua Sussberg, a Kirkland and Ellis lawyer representing BlockFi, said in his opening statement, this has been a company that's focused on creating an opportunity for people that otherwise don't have access to the financial system, Sussberg said. All right. If your last if your last name starts with Sus, uh, I'm already questioning you. Uh, that that, is, that should be a cause of concern. If you do business with a company and you see the person's name and it's sus, 
you gotta you gotta be suspect. You gotta, you gotta be full on suspect about it because that is uh that is very bad. Uh, Susberg's argument mirrored the efforts made by BlockFi's bankruptcy declaration on Monday to distance itself from same Bankman Fried's disgraced empire, which filed for a Chapter 11 bankruptcy earlier this month. Uh, BlockFi's legal team told in New Jersey bankruptcy court Tuesday the firm had 355 million dollars in digital assets with assets with FTX. Sussberg said that the firm plans to collect its assets held with FTX, though he admitted the process is going to play out all over a long period of time. Yeah, no duh, uh, if I had to make a bet. Uh, the lawyer went on to say funds held by customers in their BlockFi wallet were not pro- property of the debtor estate and that they intend to quickly file a motion to allow customers to withdraw from their personal wallets. Uh, all right, so that's apparently a lie. Uh, I was watching Sagar and Jetty from, uh, from Breaking Points yesterday, and he was saying that he was having a hard time withdrawing money from his account that apparently just froze and that he's accepted that he's taking a loss. Apparently, he lost like over five grand in money, which obviously for Sagar is not a lot of money. I mean, he makes a lot through breaking points, uh, but still back in the day, I'm sure it was a lot when he was first trading it. Uh, so overall, uh, that is definitely a lie uh, that was told. Uh, a lot of people have have noticed a freeze in their accounts that they're not able to withdraw their money. They see it going in red, uh, which obviously means it's at a loss, uh, and they're not able to withdraw their money because of it. So that's a that's definitely very very concerning, especially when you're an app that champion itself on being transparent. When you champion yourself on being the breakthrough and in innovating, the way that you know, crypto and, and alternative currency can be done. It is very, very concerning when that is not being taken into account or not really being taken into effort. Uh, so let me just get uh, get back into the flow of things with the article. BlockFi has also filed an adversary lawsuit against Emergent Ventures for, equi- for equity collateral known to represent equity shares of Robinhood, or Hood as the stock name would say, purchased by firmware FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried. In the interim, New Jersey court judge approved BlockFi's lawyer's motion to keep its list of creditors' names redacted, as was the case with FTX. In its petition, BlockFi revealed it had more than 100,000 creditors with estimated assets and liabilities of between $1 billion to $10 billion. Uh, yeah, so basically, to, to make a long story short, BlockFi is now in the gutter. Uh, they filed for Chapter 11, and there's no positive site to see for crypto, uh, which is very sad. You know, I, I made this abundantly clear, but I really want a crypto to be the next thing. You know, anything that could be the petrodollar, anything that could be the US, United States dollar that is backed by the Federal Reserve, that is only there because of its, uh, that is only worth something because of its attachment to oil, is not a good beneficial way to run a country. Uh, I, I really wanted alternative currency to win. You know, I really didn't want to see Bitcoin, but more importantly, Ethereum to be the next thing, and the fact that it isn't is not a good thing. Is not a good sign. Again, the United States dollar went into the gutter back in the 70s when we were taking off the gold standard, and that just opened up the can of worms with the Federal Reserve. But still, even back then, it was not really worth as much as it was intended to be. Uh, and again, I really wanted crypto to be that next thing. You know, I thought crypto could be the thing where you go into a coffee shop or go into a bookstore and you can open up your Apple Pay and pay through Ethereum or pay through Monero or name whatever coin you want to put out there, whether it's Litecoin or Bitcoin. I really thought that it would be the future. You know, having a non-physical asset that you could buy and sell things with 
or use to buy and sell things with was something that I thought was inevitable. And now that it's not, I, I think there are a lot of bad actors that made this happen. You know, I think there are a lot of individuals uh, that obviously Sam Bankman fried is probably the most notorious individual of a person that made crypto into the gutter. But I feel like there are a lot of individuals, a lot of bad faith actors that made crypto into the gutter for, and it's been quite consistent for the past few few years or so. Uh, and they should definitely be called out. You know, I definitely do think that uh, FTX CEO should be called out. I definitely do think that people within the government that co-signed on Bitcoin and, and monitored Bitcoin should be called out as well uh, because there have been times where the U.S. government has intervened, intervened in the trading and selling of crypto, and I think that should be also be considered and talked about. Uh, the fact that we don't talk about it, that's quite concerning. Uh, you know, there are a lot of individuals that should be critiqued or criticized this, for this. You know, whether it's... I don't even put the uh, CEO of Coinbase and just Coinbase in general for not making it, for not being fully transparent with its lenders. You know, these are individuals that should be complicit or have been complicit in the demise of crypto. And when you see, think about the attachment that crypto has with the stock market, it was just doomed to fail. Like when you saw the popularization of crypto, maybe not so much in 2017, but in 2018, 2019, like when you saw the success of Dogecoin, I was like, yeah, the U.S. government is monitoring this. There's no way that this can be purely that this can purely be untethered from the U.S. government. I, apparently, like not apparently, but when you get to that point where it's moving markets, just know that the U.S. government has a hand in it and is closely monitoring that situation. You know, who knows as to who's behind, currently behind it? You know, who's who's behind the curtain wall that's making crypto fall but again i want a crypto to, to do to do well i really want a crypto to succeed um thankfully i took my money out when i was at a at a gain you know i, I only made a 500 dollars gain from crypto uh, which really isn't any money it's not it's nothing i mean 500 dollars from crypto is nothing uh but yeah i'm happy that i didn't really keep my money in there uh, because i knew that it would not be that thing again i kept my money in there for three going on to four years I kept my money in there for four solid years. And yeah, it's, I'm not surprised by this. I'm not surprised by this whatsoever. Uh, it's just, it's just sad. It's just, I'm just at a loss for words because I really want a crypto to be that next thing, you know? But yeah, overall, those are my thoughts on the crypto thing. A hot, hot minute for crypto uh, that I, that I want to give my thoughts on. Again, I wouldn't be shocked if Coinbase files for chapter 11 in the next few months or so. I mean, they're already laying off individuals at Coinbase. So it's I, I see the writing on the wall for crypto. Uh, maybe Elon Musk can tweet about it, and then that can make crypto numbers go a little bit high. Uh, but again, I, I don't really expect that much from Elon. I'm pretty sure he's just, he's just, he's just going to pump and dump, as he always does. Uh, but yeah, overall, it's a sad day for crypto. Sad, sad few weeks for crypto. Um, I thought Ethereum, out of all the cryptos, I thought Ethereum was going to be the one that would stand out the most because of the ETH, uh, based off the fact that it was, it was uh, built off Ether and how it felt as if it was the most, it, it felt as if it was the strongest of cryptos in terms of the, in terms of how involatile it was. But still, the fact that it's also in red is not a good sign whatsoever. So yeah, those are my overall thoughts on crypto. And that'll be my hot minute for you guys on crypto. All right. Let's get into our last bit of discussion here. 
uh, our last bit of discussion here. This happened on a Monday, uh, Monday night, I would say. Took Twitter by storm uh, in in a very in, in a lot of bad ways, I would say, because this interview was not great. But overall, it was a fun watch for the 20 minutes or so when Kane, Milo, and Nick was on. So if you guys don't know, if you guys don't know, Kanye West, Mylianopoulos, and Nick Fuentes went on the Tim Pool podcast on Monday, where they spoke for a total of 20 minutes, I would say. And then Kanye stormed off because Tim Pool would not go with his anti-Semitic tirades or beliefs that he shared on the Jewish media, uh, which obviously is quite sad if you really think about that. Now, if we just put any thought into it, it's quite sad. I mean, the fact that you walked out of an interview just because somebody didn't agree with you that anti-Semitism is good is quite concerning, especially when you're a presidential candidate like Kanye West. I don't know if he's being serious or genuine with it. Who knows? But if you're Kanye West running for 2024 and you storm out of an interview based off of the mildest critique or the mildest pushback, that's not a good sign for your campaign. Especially when you're dealing with a campaign manager, campaign manager like Mylianopoulos, who starred in gay conversion therapy ads and who starred in church ads for gay conversion therapy, as well as being a unpaid intern for Marjorie Taylor Greene. The lowest of low. When you're surrounding yourself with the lowest of low people, you are in a very bad manic state. And that's what I have to say. But yeah, Kanye West walked out of the interview because of the fact that he that Temple instead of saying the Jewish media, said the corporate press. And based off that, he walked out of the interview. And I know this may come as a shock to some people because I had some unsavory things to say about Tim Pool uh, in my podcast, in a few podcast episodes. You can go back on the timeline and find it. You just type, go on my search bar, type in Tim Pool. You'll find all the videos where I've talked about Tim Pool and the great things that I said about him. Uh, but I have to give Tim Pool credit because he did not waiver he did not succumb to kanye west and his overall anti-semitic uh beliefs and he really gave pushback while while it was mild again at the end of the day you still have to have a conversation with them and to have mild pushback is something that should be encouraged because it is a conversation not a cosign if you have a conversation with somebody it's very very important that people don't take it as a cosign you know, just because I have a conversation with you doesn't mean that I agree with your opinions. I just want to hear your perspective on things and ask questions where I feel as if questions should be asked. And I thought Tim Pool did a good job in the 20 or so minutes that he had Kanye West on. Obviously, a lot of people were mad at Tim Pool for having and platforming, you know, these bad individuals. Um, Hassan Piker obviously gave his two cents in, which... I sort of expected Hassan Piker to be against Tim Pool. But again, it's important to hear different perspectives out. And yes, Melianopoulos is a horrible individual. Nick Fuentes is a horrible individual. Kanye West, boring on horror, horrible individual, if he or if he's an already a horrible individual. But again, it's very, very important to have conversations with people that you disagree with it with because it lends itself into a conversation and it's very, very important to hear other individuals out. I know it's not the most popular opinion to say on Twitter, you know, the most, you know, the most free of conversation there is on, 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 on the site or on, on the internet. I know Twitter does a great job at encouraging conversations. You know, they're so good at making people hear out each other, each out, each, uh, each, each other and hearing out different political ideas and, and different ideas in general. I know Twitter does an impeccable job at that. You know, and I know Twitter, the Twitter mob loves conversations. They love to start a conversation on things. Uh, having said all that, 
I think it's important to hear one another out. And I thought Tim Pool definitely took a page out of Lex Friedman's book where he did push back. Um, not to the extent that Lex Friedman did, because obviously Lex Friedman had like two and a half hours, three hours to talk with Kanye. But still, I thought that it was nice of Tim Pool to step back from that and to really offer his overall thoughts on that. Um, there was at one point in the conversation where Kanye said, I'm going to order a PJ before I sit and have a Lex Freeman setup conversation. And he said that directly to Tim Pool, which I'm like, okay, this this conversation is going to go awry. It's not going to go well whatsoever. Uh, as soon as Kanye, Nick, and Milo left, um, Tim Pool sat with his producer and gave his overall, overall remarks on the interview. Uh, apparently, there were, I saw the live chat for this. The live chat was just going in on Tim Pool. And I was like, dude, Tim, like, this is the audience that Tim Pool built. It's just a bunch of individuals that's just endorsing Milo Yiannopoulos and Kanye West out of all individuals. These two pathological liars, these two manipulators, these individuals that have no care in the world besides their own ego and attention and, and their own clout. Like, these are the individuals that, that these commentators are, are standing up for. I'm like, wow. Why? Like, why is this the case? It just makes no sense whatsoever. Like, I, I have no, I have no idea why at this point you don't see Kanye West and Miley Yiannopoulos for what they are, which is just these pathological manipulators. And that is putting it lightly. I'm, I'm saying those words in a light way because I, there are far better ways to describe Kanye West and Miley Yiannopoulos. There are far more accurate ways to describe them. Um, again, I. When you side yourself with Myelinopolis, that is lowest of low. Like, I don't think people realize how low that is. I mean, he was on Joe Rogan saying that 13-year-olds can, can, can consent. Do you know how barbaric that is? And rightfully, he got kicked out of the conservative party, the conservative movement, because of those words. Rightfully so. Because you cannot have that in your background. You can't announce or endorse or be this family man who makes these Christian albums like Yay and whatnot, or Jesus is King, that is, not Yay. Jesus is King. You can't have songs like Clothes on Sunday and Jesus Walks and then have an individual that is sympathetic to pedophilia. You can't have that in your corner. Like, I, if I'm Kanye, I, I have to st stop surrounding myself with yes men. At this point, moment in time, and this is what I realized with this interview, is that he's just surrounding himself with individuals that just stroke his ego, that just stroke his dick, and it's just so wrong on so many levels, so, so, so many levels, because there should be pushback. There should be pushback against these ideas and, and in this rhetoric. And I'm not surprised when I hear people within Kanye's camp that say, that he was sympathetic to Hitler and to the Nazis, because this sounds like an individual that is sympathetic to that. And hopefully we're, we get to a point where he's out of this place, out of this manic state, uh, because I don't want him to be in this cycle. And I feel as if the more that I talk about him, the more that it just feeds into Kanye talking about this and, and to be back in the new cycle, because as we all know, attention is the new form of currency. Uh, it's just what it is right now. Attention is new form of currency. And a lot of people will do anything, if not everything, to attain that attention, to get that attention. If it means being a Nazi sympathizer or, or being or having anti-Semitic language, then so be it. And I think that we're currently seeing that from Kanye. Again, you know, there are things that he does critique well. I think I think that that's currently fine to say. I mean, the, the what Harley Posternock said to 
Kane in terms of you'll never see your kids again once I get you back to that mental ward. I mean, that's completely fine. I mean, if you're going after if you're going after specific individuals, that's fine. But to label them as just Jew and just going after an entire group of Jewish people based off the actions of a few individuals that happen to be Jewish, that's not good. Go after this specific individual. And I think thought what Lex Freeman did was very, very eloquent. And Temple was trying to do that same thing. But unfortunately, the interview was cut short. But again, I hats off to Temple. I mean, it's it's weird for me to say that. Very weird for me to say that because, as you all know, I, I you know my thoughts on Temple. Uh, I've sort of been lukewarm on Tim Pool nowadays because I do think that he's sort of been lighter. I do think that he's sort of had a change. Uh, or I, I would like to pretend he, he has had a change. But again, I thought Tim Pool did a good job in this interview, uh, which is is very rare for me to say that. But again, I thought Tim Pool did well, and I hope I hope Kanye can can get on the other side of the of things and just make good music. At this point, Kanye, and this is the what I this is the same critique that I gave to Brendan Schaub back when Brendan Schaub had his whole situation with uh, Annie Letterman and Kalila and the whole truck log incident. Make people like you for your art. Make people like you for what you want to be put out there. You know, for Brennan Shaw, it's comedy. For Kanye, it's music. Make people fall in love with you for what you've been known for doing. You know, whether it's music, do music. Whether it's fashion, do fashion. Because at the end of the day, there are so many individuals right now that are currently rooting for your downfall. And I don't really blame them for that. I really don't blame them for that. Uh, especially with what you said. I mean, this is what Kanye said is currently is completely different from what Brennishop did. Is what Brennishop did. I mean, this is like night and day. It's it's very very different. But at the same time, you know, if it's comedy, do comedy. You know, if it's putting out music, do music. You know, if it's doing great on podcasts, I mean, not Kanye, but Brennan, that is, then do great on podcasts. You know, whatever people liked you in the first place, do that. You know, stick with what people like you for what you've done. You know, make great music. You know, do great things in art. You know, be able to release the best Yeezy sneaker of all time. You know, if it means doing it within your own fashion house, not with LVMH or with a Paris or with a with a high-end fashion line, if, you, if it happens to be within your own company, within the Yeezy company, do that. You know, because right now you're at your low to low. This is... This is a moment right now where I haven't really seen Kanye before. I mean, this is worse than than him just being a producer. Because at least with him being a producer, at least he was hanging out with Alexa, Jay-Z, and Pharrell. This, I mean, he's in Maryland right now at a sushi restaurant getting getting pictures with people in, in, in rural Maryland. I mean, this is just bad. It's just a bad look on so many levels. Uh, not saying Maryland is a bad place. You know, if you're living in Maryland, I'm, I'm sure it's a good place. It's a very hospitable place. I'm just saying that it's, it's you know, it's there's levels to it. But yeah, it, it, this is just bad. And the fact that Kanye West, who's running for president, who's had all these, you know, claims of being anti-Semitic, could not properly sit down and answer questions by Tim Pool. It just shows that he's surrounding himself in a circle that is comprised of people that only say yes to him. I mean, and when you when you when I saw Miley Yiannopoulos in that in that video with Kanye, when Kanye announces his candidacy for president, I'm like, dude, all Miley is just doing is just being a guessman. All he's doing is seeing is being a cloud chaser and knowing that this is the only way that he can lend himself to be a okay person, 
apparently Miley Nopolis went out of his book deal and it, it, apparently he was like $50 million in debt. He was like bankrupt like a few years ago. So yeah, that, it would not shock me if Miley Nopolis, um, if Miley Nopolis uh, is only there for cloud chasing, which he is, he is. I mean, it, it's quite, it's quite easy to see that he's just there to cloud chase. But again, I thought Tim Pool did a great job. Um, I know there are a lot of commenters that were just going after Tim Pool and like, I mean, I don't really, I don't, I don't, I mean, I get why. I understand why, because when you build yourself an audience like that, you sort of should expect comments like that to happen, especially when you're openly endorsing, you know, candidates that are on the far right or when you're being a fence or whatnot. You know, I mean, that's sort of what comes with the territory when you make politically charged videos like that, that are just so on the right, that have no sort of understanding as to what's currently happening with what people are going through. You know, I mean, when you're dealing with culture war issues, like Temple does on a day-to-day -day basis that are just so vehemently right-wing, you're going to get commentators, commentators, commenters, commentators that have that similar belief and share that, share that same sentiment. So I'm not really surprised by the commenters that were going after Tim Pool, but as an individual that isn't a fan of Tim Pool, I thought he did a good job in this interview. And he managed his composure. He realized that, that the show must go on. Even if Kanye and Nick and Milo hopped on a PJ, he realized that he still has to do what he has to do, which is give an entertaining podcast to his fans. That is not to me. I don't really find his podcast that entertaining. Um, Depends on the guest. You know, if it's Dave Smith, sure. If it's me, I'm going to watch it. Uh, but yeah, overall, um, I thought Temple did a good job. And uh, I was very pleasantly surprised by him. And to see all people on Twitter just be like, just going after Temple for hosting Kanye and Milo and, and Nick, I'm like, dude, at the end of the day, what matters is, be, is being able to have disagreements and looking people in the eye and saying, I vehemently disagree with you. But I'm still going to have this conversation with you because I think that it's important to agree to disagree. And unfortunately for Twitter, they're not able to have that conversation. They're just not. They're not able to see somebody who has a different set of beliefs and say, you know what? I can't have a conversation with them. They, or, or I can have a conversation with them. They're not able to do that. You know, it's very, very important to have conversations with people that you vehemently disagree with. You know, whether they're on the right, whether on the left. You know, there are people that I disagree with on the most simplest of things. You know, but I still talk to them. That doesn't mean I can't be able to have a conversation with them or hear their perspective on things. You know, and who knows? Maybe my thoughts or my beliefs can change how another person views or or acts. I mean, I, hopefully not. I mean, I don't want my words to carry weight, but who knows? It could happen. So overall, I thought Tim Pool did a good job on this. You know, it, it's not the result that his fans really want, uh, but I thought that was the right thing that he did. So... Those are my thoughts, overall thoughts on the Temple situation with Kanye West uh, being a host or being on his podcast, that is. All right. But he should uh, take off the beanie and he should accept his baldness. And that's what I want to say. Uh, take a shower because it doesn't look like you had a shower in a few years. Take a shower. Uh, take off the beanie. Embrace your baldness and uh, stop with the music because uh, it's just pure Nickelback ripoffs. Uh, that those are my uh, words for Tim Pool. 
uh, in terms of how to get better, not only as a, as a musician or as a YouTuber, but as a person as well, uh, because he really needs it. Anyways, those are my thoughts on the Tim Pool situation with Kanye West. All right, so that's about it for you guys today, guys. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you leave a comment down below on any of the topics that I discuss, whether it's MRR to kind of receiving MBE, whether it's your US, Iran's World Cup match, whether it is crypto exchange BlockFi going bankrupt, whether it is, or whether it's Tim Pool and Kanye West and their sit down conversation. Any of those thoughts, leave them down below. Questions, comments, leave them down below. Uh, again, it's very, very important to encourage a conversation. Uh, make sure you guys follow me on my Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at AJ Tucker, A J Y T H A K K A R underscore the end. On YouTube, they have YouTube handles. So AJ Tucker Podcast, AJ Tucker Clips, AJ Tucker underscore the end for my stand up channel. You can all find them on youtube.com. Uh, make sure you rate and review as well on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. That'd be great if you're able to do that. And last but not least, make sure you spread it through WhatsApp and through text chains. As I've said before, it's very, very important to spread this through word of mouth to get more people involved in this podcast. More, to, have more, to encourage a healthy dialogue and discussion is very, very important. Uh, obviously, people have been leaving comments in my shorts, which is great. I'm very, very happy for that. But again, as I mentioned before on my previous podcast, that distilling down an hour-long podcast into a minute is very, very difficult, especially when you're talking about one specific topic because... People sort of take it out of perspective. It's taken out of context and it's often feed it into the YouTube, YouTube algorithm. So people don't really understand my gist or what I'm trying to get at. So it's a little bit difficult for them to really gauge what I'm trying to say. So if you can redirect that traffic onto my actual podcast videos, that'd be great to see. Uh, I think it, it's at some point or another, it's, it's just got to happen. Uh, but anyways, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you guys on Tuesday. Enjoy your weekend. Avoid the bookings. Uh, I will talk more about things that are within our political and societal realm, but also talk about things that are in tennis as well. So that's what's to be expected on, on, on Tuesday. Uh, I have no idea what's going to happen for, for tennis, but overall, uh, those are going to be to be expected for topics on Tuesday. All right, guys. See you guys on Tuesday. Enjoy your weekend. Peace. See y'all.